those rich people always flying off somewhere. <laughs> hey everyone, welcome to the Vegan Vanguard. It's Mexi. And today we have a very special guest, Alexis Fawn, joining us, who is a badass, radical activist and educator in Toronto. Who, me? Oh <laughs> who, <gosh>. you? <laughs> so nice. <laughs> yes, welcome, Alexis. Uh, before we dive in, I'm going to shout out the patrons, and it's been a while since we've done this, so there are a lot of people to shout out. If I miss you, please send me a message on Patreon or Twitter or whatever, and I will shout you out next time. So thank you very kindly to Megan Beatty, Clint Funk, Ben Mitchell, Shane Lindbergh, Ellen Robinson, Canadian Stalin. Thank you, Canadian Stalin. Oh, goodness. Rebecca Roberts, Vicki Snyder, Carissa, Henry Knees, and Aubrey Zill, who very generously edited their pledge. So if you would like to support the show, you can head on over to patreon.com slash veganvanguard, or you can give us a one-time donation via PayPal on our website, veganvanguardpodcast.com. So also before we jump into the questions, as usual, I'll be reading off some headlines for the future that have been submitted by the listeners. And we are just absolutely loving doing this at the start of every podcast. So if you have your own headlines that you are dying to have read on the show, please send those to us uh, either by email, veganvanguardpodcast at gmail.com or Twitter or Facebook or whatnot. So yeah, let's keep this positivity train rolling. So uh, Alexis has not heard these headlines, so I'm going to read them out (laughs) and we're going to get her reaction to them. Amazing. (laughs) Okay. So these are from Kelsey Bomboy. Thank you for sending these in. Number one, breaking news. The last person of color in prison for a nonviolent drug charge has been released. Oh, about time. About fucking time. Come on. Yes. Yeah. I wonder when that's going to happen in Canada because we've legalized marijuana. Yeah. So is everyone getting released or what's happening with that? Great question. <laughs> great question. Great question. <laughs> Everyone's just too busy, like, going to the government store to get, yeah, you know, whatever. So. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Well, that's a great one. Okay, number two. New digs. How these permaculturists turned the polluted, haunted remains of abandoned factory farms into thriving ecosystems. Oh, my gosh. That's it. That's, that's fucking uh, it. We, we need to make that happen. I absolutely love the visual that I'm getting, oh like, gosh. imagining that happening it's beautiful it's so beautiful that's the world i want to live in that's the world i need to live in that's, yeah. the, that's the world that we're going to okay. live in yeah we're going to make this happen because sorry even if you don't want to do it it's going to be forced upon us so yeah. that's that incredible <laughs> all right number three this is the last one here dismantling white veganism food justice education yes. now mandatory for all k-12 schools oh I am about that. I am into that. Right. Let's make it happen. That's really topical for the topic that we're going to talk about today. 
I really want Canadian Stalin to send some headlines. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Canadian Stalin, we want to hear what, what you've got for the future. But uh, definitely, that's so relevant. And I mean, discussing food justice is something that should be part of um, the mandatory education, the OSSD, mm-hmm. the Ontario Secondary School Diploma. Mm-hmm. I agree. And that would really stem a lot of, you know, horrible white veganism. Because if you learn oh, as yeah. a child about food justice issues and like why certain people can't access food or whatnot, then you're probably less likely to be like a super consumerist. Yes. Vegan. Elitist. Elitist. Yeah, that would be, (laughs) I mean, because veganism can be so intersectional and just, you know, providing the information to students, especially at a young age, that would just be so valuable. Yeah. And just even teaching things like gardening and how to grow your own food. Right. I just, I so wish that for education. I mean, I wish that for myself right now. Like (laughs) I I need those skills. Yeah. Especially in the next coming decades. So my gosh, we should actually do that. Like sidebar, we should figure out how to do that in trial. (laughs) Sidebar, learn how to grow own food and sustain one's own self. Yeah. Sidebar, this is a project we must do. (laughs) Okay. Um, so yeah, thanks again, Kelsey. Please keep sending these uh, headlines in. We really love them. So diving into our topic for today. So yes. I wanted to ask Alexis onto the show to talk about radical education for youth because she is a radical educator <laughs> for youth in Toronto and she's just doing such an amazing job. So before we get into the the questions, I guess I'll just ask you to perhaps briefly introduce yourself and how you identify politically and what led you to identify as such. Oh my God. How much time do you have with that last one? Um, Okay. My name is Alexis Vaughn. I'm an educator here in Toronto and I'm in my fourth year of teaching. So I teach high school. Um, My teachable subjects are English, drama, and sociology, um, which means that I teach courses like the introduction to anthropology, psychology, and sociology, and also the challenge and change courses, as well as all levels of drama and all levels of English. I identify politically as a Marxist. I am a socialist. And uh, when I had been asked earlier, how do I identify politically? I started to sing Beyonce's to the left, to the left, which I think is describes uh, my views and also what we will talk about today. Yeah. And you're quite like non-sectarian in general, right? Like- Absolutely. Um, I'm a big advocate of class consciousness. And I think that that is going to happen when we all come together and start to actually talk about our material conditions and the systems that oppress us like capitalism. And I would just love to see more unity and less labels in general. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. All right. So what inspires you to develop radical pedagogy for youth? Okay. Okay, I have to paint a picture for you because I have a master's in education and I did teacher's college and mm-hmm. I've always done education courses. And so uh, teachers like to think they're being really progressive and unique. And on the first day of these courses, so many courses, you sit down with your peers and they go, what inspired you to be a teacher? Yeah, And it's amazing to hear the responses because in my programs, my peers would be like, I had a grade three teacher who was just really nice. Or oh. People are like, you know, my mom is very nurturing and, and this is really is nice. Nurturing. Yes. <laughs> and then it would get to me and I'd be like, um, <clears throat> well, Karl Marx put forth a theory of class consciousness, the proletariat that was later expanded <laughs> on by Paula Freire in terms of direct application in the classroom and, um, the embracing of teaching students for social transformation. So that's, <laughs> Um, that's, uh, that's why I want to be a teacher. I would love to be a father. Oh my God. Oh my and God. then the looks I would get and I'm like, 
Yeah. Um, I'm, that, I'm that girl. Mm. Okay, great. So, uh, so did you yeah. ever get any pushback on that? Yeah. I, I didn't get along. I get along with a lot of people, but when I was in mm-hmm. teacher's college, there was this group of boys and they were like the math majors and they were mm-hmm. just like very into teaching the way that they were taught. Mm-hmm. And I, I would butt heads with them a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the only time I've ever kind of experienced uh, friction with that, just mm. within the course. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't get any like immediate pushback, but I definitely would experience, you know, just uh, different ways of seeing problems or like mm-hmm. different ways to approach curriculum and um, and classroom management. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. As you can imagine, but yeah. that's, but that's it. That's it. I wanted to like really bring the outside world into the classroom. And that's what inspired me to, um, to be a teacher. I want to teach mm-hmm. for social transformation. Mm-hmm. Um, I brought something with me. I brought a really fantastic book. Um, I are, have you read this or no, like I've, I think I've read sections of it. So I, I really want to read the whole thing. So I'm holding, um, Paulo Freire's seminal text pedagogy of the oppressed. So you haven't read the whole thing, but no. you, you know enough about it to know that it's like a very like prolific, prolific as hell. Yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. So I read this in my first year of university and this just completely changed how I saw education. And it mm-hmm. made me really want to, to utilize the ideas that he puts forth. I mean, so maybe, um, I could give like a background to who this person is. Yeah. Um, just in case you don't know. So, uh, mm-hmm. Paulo Freire, he is a teacher, writer, activist, philosopher, lawyer, and just so much more from Brazil. Mm-hmm. And he was so frustrated with the levels of literacy in Brazil and the impact that this was having on not only like the morale, but the politics, because people could not read and write and they mm-hmm. weren't able to, to have a political voice. There was so much corruption in politics at that time. And uh, he really felt frustrated with school's inability to prepare its citizens. So Mm -hmm. um, he ended up writing a lot of these ideas down in this book. And he critiques traditional schooling and really explains that we need to be teaching for what he called critical consciousness. So like Mm -hmm. students understanding of the world. And he said that, you know, there are problems with teaching and we need to bring the outside world into the class. And, And he did that. And so he actually termed what teachers do, the traditional um, style of teaching as the banking method, Mm -hmm. which is just this fantastic critique where um, he explained how the teacher stands at the front of the room as if they know everything and they just talk at students who sit there passively Mm -hmm. as if he is depositing this information on them Mm -hmm. while they just sit there without having to think critically about anything. And Mm -hmm. then when the test comes, they just regurgitate this information. Um, And that's how so much of how school operates and we need to be conscious of that and change that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, um, even further back than Friere, we had a really awesome educator named John Dewey who talked about like constructivism and making kids be active in the process. So mm-hmm. really when I talk, when I think about, you know, what inspired me to develop a radical pedagogy, it's all of these fantastic ideas and critiques of the system that have come before me that mm-hmm. are just so on point mm-hmm. with uh, the state of reality and the awareness that things need to change. So, mm-hmm. so that is um, that is why I have, I guess you could say, a radical pedagogy that we mm-hmm. can get into because it's important. Yeah, and, uh, of course, yes, Amazing. education is radical. Yeah, 
Amazing. Uh, I'm really, yeah, I'm very excited to read that book. I will probably have some time in the next coming months, so I'll be able to read the books that I've been wanting to read forever. Yay! Um, but I just think that's absolutely amazing. And the fact that so many of your peers are coming to this thinking that teaching is just about like nurturing, you know, oh it's like a my gosh. Role. Yeah. <laughs> or, yes, exactly. And it, it is really fascinating. And they want to teach because the way that they were taught, which, you know, a lot of the times is just so, um, was so vanilla and just, mm-hmm. and not engaging. Mm-hmm. Like that was it for them. Right. And, and they want to emulate that. Right. Whereas, you know, for me, I can't really pinpoint a part in my education that was super transformational. Everything was mm-hmm. pretty passe, but, mm-hmm. um, I, I started to learn what education could be. Mm-hmm. And actually, when I was in high school, my friends would come to me and they'd be like, you know, I don't really understand this concept. And I would always turn whatever we were doing into stories, new mm-hmm. storytelling. And I had this um, kind of intuition that we need to make it fun. Right. What a radical idea. What a radical um, idea. So, you know, in teaching friends, and that's why I, I pursued being a teacher. And then when I learned that there were other individuals who were frustrated with the system that just did so much writing and provided such a solid framework, mm-hmm. it just, it lit my soul on fire. Yeah. And I was like, this is it. This is why I'm in this. Yeah. Um, so that is, that's part of it. It's badass. Uh, it is. I, I mean, education is a political act. Yeah. I think so. And absolutely. There are teachers that don't think so. And right. that is, um, it is very, it, it's, what is, what would be that word? It lets me down. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's disappointing. It's, ah, there it is. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's, it's really disappointing that people don't see education as a political act because yeah. it should always be mm-hmm. seen as that and mm-hmm. it should not be mm-hmm. taken lightly right. at all. And I mean, even if it, it, even if people aren't, or they're just teaching in this nurturing kind of standard systematic way, it is still a political act because then you're just churning out the status quo. Like you're just churning exactly. out the next, the next, you know, generation of whatever workers and capitalists that are not going to be thinking critically about the position that they're in or what, what they're doing in the world, you know? So, well, yeah, exactly that. And again, this idea of teaching for social transformation, mm-hmm. it's not just to, understand the world. Oh my gosh. Karl Marx said this, right? <laughs> in, in thesis 11, he says, you know, um, the point of all of this, it's not just to understand the way that the system works. It's mm-hmm. to change it. Right, yeah. And education should be viewed exactly in that way. Mm-hmm. It's not just to understand the bourgeoisie class and like yeah. understand. It's like, no, we need to take action and right. change it. And we need mm-hmm. to have that level of, of praxis with this the content of what you're doing is related to the world. And then you talk about what you can do when you get out of school right. to actualize that. Yeah. 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 Oh my Perfect. gosh. Yeah. We got it figured out. <laughs> These people need to catch up. Come on. Gosh, darn it. Oh goodness. Um, okay. So how progressive or not progressive would you say most high school curricula are? And why is it important to arm students with critical thinking skills at a young age? <laughs> I mean, I have to laugh. Um, so, so listeners, um, I was uh, showing Mexi uh, before we started some of the Ontario curriculum, which you, if you are interested um, and you live in Ontario, but really any province, you can access the curriculum that you learned in high school that that exists. Um, these these are public policy documents from your um, from the government, and it's the same in the states. You can find this information online. So if you were ever wondering, like, oh hey, like I wonder, you know, what does grade eleven English look like where mm-hmm. I live? 
you can find it for yourself. So I printed out um, grade 11 English for Ontario. So I'm just going to be speaking in an Ontario context. Because sometimes, you know, that curriculum, it's just not as progressive <laughs> as it should be. Um, and I say this because I think we have a very, uh, some courses in Ontario are very watered down. Mm -hmm. So really my answer to this question, um, how progressive are high school curricula, it depends on the subject, but basically courses are very watered down. The expectations are very um, open to interpretation, which can be good when you have educators that want to bring it to life. Mm -hmm. But it, that can also be a hindrance when you have educators that don't care yep. and just want to teach what the materials that they were taught with, that they were passed mm -hmm. down to them, that exist in those big binders at the front of the room because yeah. it's easy. Mm -hmm. So for grade 11 English, you know, we have expectations that are like um, uh, just about communicating for a range of purposes <laughs> using language that's appropriate to the class, <laughs> like identifying the purpose of listening tasks. Literally, there are expectations in here that are about proofreading, which is important. Regularly proofread and correct their writing. That's mm -hmm. 3.5 of the writing strand, which is important, but mm -hmm. you can get away with not writing an essay and not engaging with, um, with any type of skill that you will need in um, a higher order thinking context. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, you could really just answer questions and do worksheets for an entire mm -hmm. an entire class based on some of these expectations. Yeah, because it's so vague. I mean, so vague. using language to communicate appropriately. <laughs> yes. Like, how do you even say, like, anyone over six years old could probably yes. do that. And how do you even evaluate that? Like, what's appropriate versus not appropriate? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, exactly. And that's why it's funny. So um, I teach grades nine to 12, um, with English. And I have to say like the grade nine curriculum is so similar to the grade 12 curriculum. Right. And even going back, the grade seven and eight curriculum is also very similar and right. there's no required text. So, um, and again, this could be good or could be bad, but in Ontario, there's no absolute book that you must read in all of these courses. Now you probably in high school read a Shakespeare text and then yeah. had like another text. Yeah. Um, that's a program that that schools design that's kind of like ex an accepted practice, mm -hmm. but there is no required book for grade 11 English, mm -hmm. which for me worked out because I put forward a book that um, is very uh, global. It's very um, progressive. It's called The White Tiger by Irvinda Diga. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, it's not by a white guy. So yeah. there's that. Wow. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So progressive. <laughs> um, so, so that worked out to my benefit, but, uh, definitely mm -hmm. because it can be so vague, it's not. And even, so I'm, I'm focusing on English. Cause again, this is, this is my baby. Um, I've taught it now like nine or 10 times, mm -hmm. but, um, to bring to your attention, the, the history document for mm -hmm. grade, um, for grade 10, which is, um, mm -hmm. a required course, I was showing you some expectations that, you know, at first glance, you might be like, oh, wow, we're talking about um, First Nations and um, mm -hmm. Indigenous, but it's really vanilla. Yep. Um, explain the goals and accomplishments of some groups, organizations, and or movements in Canada that contributed to social and or political cooperation during mm -hmm. this period. Yeah. Like, I just... Fucking cooperation. <laughs> 
there needs to be maybe the word cultural genocide yeah. in there. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So cooperation. Cooperation. Wow. Yeah. So I know it's a, uh, I think, so there's something to be said for having this, this old curriculum that can be very vague, but also trying, you know, going back to the beginning of this episode when we're talking about headlines for the future, mm-hmm. maybe we can put a positive spin on this because mm-hmm. it it is easy to um, bring this to life because it's so vague and right. to and to really try to um, enhance students' critical um, thinking skills by bringing in those critical texts and mm-hmm. by making them think about um, not only ways of cooperation, but intergenerational trauma right. and, and these things, which I definitely um, teach in my courses and mm-hmm. residential schools and, mm-hmm. and, um, and these types of things. So mm-hmm. um, you also asked me why it's important to arm students with critical thinking skills. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, you know, I teach some students in grade 11 that, you know, in September, they're waiting for the answer. Yeah. And it's really difficult for them to come up with their own opinion, mm-hmm. when especially when they're put on the spot. And that, to me, shows me, wow, like there's not much opportunity that they've had to really um, refine their own, not only ability to communicate, but like their own opinions. Yeah. So I take that as... <laughs> as a sign that we need more opportunity for students to think critically and develop their own opinions. Yep. Even in my grade 12 sociology class, um, students say things that I don't agree with. Mm-hmm. And I just tell them, you have to back that up with facts or with supporting yep. evidence. Mm-hmm. And that is like a revolutionary concept for them. Yep. Like, you know, not just saying something is, well, because. Yeah. Having to actually provide a reason, that, that pushes them. Right. So that's a little... That's a lot that just getting students to use full sentences and to to provide this uh, information or, mm-hmm. or research. Getting <laughs> Citation to, needed. <laughs> yeah, and like teaching, oh, teaching my students, you know, the first month of my courses, uh, I really teach them how to like use the internet for sources and like to support their opinions and, mm-hmm. and all of these things. Um, but mm-hmm. a lot of students do wait for the answer. Yeah. And... It just shows that, yeah, we mm-hmm. we have a lot of work to do. Absolutely. Yeah. I, th- I mean, I think it's absolutely incredibly important to arm students with critical thinking skills yes. that young because, like, you know, I teach in university and even at the end of these university courses, students are just thrilled that we've, you know, they've been armed with critical thinking skills. Yeah. Like, they're just thrilled that they'll be able to, you know, look at what's going on in the world and not just accept it at face value, but to understand, like, the processes, the broader context that's going on beyond it and everything. And, you know, for me in high school, I always, I, I always like, hated the system. I was very into, like, ad busters and all of yes. that. Yes. <laughs> oh, my remember. God. Incredible. Yeah. And I always – I was kind of a critical thinker, but in school, we had no opportunities for that. No. And then in university, you know, luckily, I did get opportunities for that, but, th- but that's because I took a really critical um, subject. If you just go from high school into, like, a business program – you're not learning critical thinking. You're not no. learning about political economy. You're not learning about broader context or anything like that. You're not learning any of that. No. So <laughs> so then where are you? This is why we have so many people who are just totally, you know, fallen for the ideology of capitalism, right? Yes, it's like absolutely. pure ideology. They're just completely, uh, they can't even see that it's a system that's operating 
on them all the time, right? They don't even see it as a system. So that's where what we get when we don't have any critical thinking training in high school. And I would add to that. It, that's mm-hmm. what we get when we don't have any semblance of the outside world right. in the class. Mm-hmm. And we don't have any connections to um, political movements or to mm-hmm. current events. Right. Like, so much of my high school experience and um and unfortunately the high school experience now exists with students walking into a class and then they're shut off from the outside world yeah and the teacher says you know um put away your phones we're not going to use the phones Mm -hmm. and then it's just the student the textbook and the teacher and that's that's their world yeah and that is not reality you know we have these learners we have these connected learners now that are just so they have the ability to be on the pulse of anything that's happening in the world, any major story. And Mm -hmm. we do students a disservice when we negate that part of their personality as if, as if they don't have these cell phones on them at school. Um, yeah. And, and an ability to like immediately engage with issues. Mm -hmm. Um, and something that I do in all of my classes is I try to give students the tools to understand the world around them by talking about current events, but also by talking about media mm. and I talk about media and understanding media quite a bit. Mm-hmm. So, um, I know that we had actually started riffing about education, Mexi, one of the first times I met you because I was just finishing up a course and I was getting these media bias projects mm. coming in and you, you were asking me about that. And I was kind of telling you about that, but yeah, like teaching students about media bias, something yeah. so simple is really going to set them up for success. And, um, now with tools, I have them all take out their phones and take out their phones to research news stories and use websites like media bias, fact check and Politico Mm -hmm. and and these websites that will kind of explain actual levels of bias Mm -hmm. present within things so that they can make the most informed choice for them. Um, as much as I would love students to like adapt the leftist ideology and and whatnot, (laughs) um, I like to think that I give them the tools to, um, to make compassionate and informed choices, which mm-hmm. for me, I see that playing out as the students naturally gravitating to mm-hmm. to the left with things, but just really, regardless of where they sit, just understanding that the outside world and understanding that they are autonomous and they can make their own choices and really giving them what Freer was talking about, tools to read and write the world mm-hmm. with critical consciousness. Yeah, that's That should be the goal of education and that's what we need to see more of happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's really an art to be able to, you know, get someone to arrive at a place without just feeding them that information, you know, totally. to get someone to arrive there naturally on their own through their own self-discovery is obviously way more powerful and obviously arms them with the ability to, you know, be able to to stay there because once you understand what's going on, then you're, you're going to be more apt to, you know, understand your own political positioning. But yeah, I just think that's, that's really important and like really wonderful that you're able to do that yeah. on like such a broad scale with so many people. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's definitely taken some time to really refine, like you said, how to get students to a place without feeding them the information. Yeah. Um, and I have some, ways that I've done that and the ways that I've, um, kind of mastered this and I'm still working on it because I am a human and I'm not perfect and my pedagogy is always evolving, but, Mm. uh, open-ended questions. Yeah. Really not just asking these closed yes or no questions, really asking these broad, like, how does this describe, analyze, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. These, these action verbs, Mm -hmm. um, 
There's actually something in uh, teaching called Bloom's Taxonomy. Have you heard of this? No. Okay. So I am a nerd and I have <laughs> it actually on my desktop, but it's um, it kind of explains the ways that we can get people to think about things. So the mm. bottom of the pyramid is consisted of something called remember. So for folks that can't see the fact that I'm holding up my computer right now. We'll put this in the show notes. We can put this in the show notes. Okay, great. So um, this was a, um, a psychologist that wanted to better understand how students learn mm-hmm. and better understand how people learn. So he created this. And this is basically the pyramid that explains how to move into higher order level thinking. Mm. So the base of the pyramid is remember, where students recall facts and basic concepts. Yeah. That's a lot of, that's the banking method. That's my entire that's high school your entire experience. high school experience. I was bored university. Of course. And so we have remember, and then we have understand where, okay, explain these ideas or concepts. So that would mm. be, you know, after the teacher told you the answer, they ask you it again and you write it down with. Right. Um, and then we have apply. So a little better. Um, use information in new situations. Mm-hmm. We have analyze, which is, you know, better. We have mm-hmm. evaluate. So This is one that I am always getting students to do. And I think it's important for all of us. Evaluate everything. Mm -hmm. Um, Justify. Take a stand. Make a decision and back it up with facts. Yeah. Right? And then we move into the top, top, top. The the best thing you can do to really move into those higher order level thinking skills is Mm -hmm. create. Mm -hmm. Produce a new piece of work. Mm -hmm. So, um... So to create things. So that is uh, Mm -hmm. giving those options, um, giving students the ability to... um, to analyze, evaluate, and create. Yeah. That's how I really just help them to, to better understand these issues. Mm-hmm. Um, also, just having open dialogues. There's something, um, I'm sure you're familiar with this, actually, the Socratic method. Mm-hmm. You're familiar? Yeah, but explain. Okay, so um, <laughs> Socrates, <laughs> what a guy. What a guy. Um, so in Plato's writing on Socrates, he kind of just explained um, Socrates' belief that knowledge is inherent in a person and it's up to the teacher to draw it out of them. So Socrates would use uh, what he called the Socratic questioning method to draw the knowledge out of the person. So really, Mm -hmm. it's not just a question where I can't even think of, I don't ask yes or no questions. So Mm -hmm. I can't even think of any, but just it's, you don't ask somebody a yes or no. You ask them to like really expand on things. Okay. Tell me more about that. What about this? Have you considered this? Using this Socratic method of dialogue to really probe the person's mind so that they can provide you with a full their full understanding and also develop their own ideas as they Mm -hmm. as they speak so Mm -hmm. that type of instruction and even just in conversation with others is Mm -hmm. like super important yeah um yeah and actually on the topic of that uh when you talk with people there was a study done in uh 1994 that showed the average wait time before mm. people get uncomfortable after they ask a question. Oh, really? Yeah. Do you do you uh, want to take a guess at what that would be? Like a couple seconds. Yes. <laughs> Literally <laughs> 0.7 seconds. Wow. 0.7 to 1.4. Yeah. So that's how long teachers wait before they kind of panic and then just ask it a different way. Oh no. Yes. And the thing is <laughs> that it takes students at least like four to 10 seconds to even process what you said. And, right. Um, the reality is, you know, Toronto's multicultural. Um, I'm teaching students that speak many different languages. Right. Um, so we call them English language learners. Um, mm-hmm. It used to be ESL, but no, we have students that speak like three languages, mm-hmm. four languages, so it's ELLs. 
I'm teaching ELLs and uh, I can't, they can't process that in one second, right. you know? So, and, and most people can't either. So really allowing yourself to be comfortable with that silence. Yeah. It's, uh, it can be a little awkward at first, mm-hmm. but it's so needed yeah. when you're mm-hmm. having um, dialogues. And I think mm-hmm. that, you know, um, this is a podcast that talks a lot about um, anti-capitalism. And I think a lot of people here are interested in having those conversations. And the things that I'm saying right now about the Socratic method and open-ended questions, it's not just for teaching, it's for having these tough conversations mm. about capitalism, about oppression yeah. with our parents, with our partners, with our friends. Mm. So I think that yeah yeah i think that's that so true i so i always true. just end up like getting mad and being like mom come on like that's not how it is this is how it is <laughs> open a book mom <laughs> yeah so yeah. i have learned a lot from teaching that can be applied to uh these types of uncomfortable conversations um and i gotta tell you patience is so important and mm. i know that that's kind of a cliche mm. but um In my courses, for example, I get all of my students to understand the idea of empathy and perspective taking. And Mm -hmm. um, I know I was talking with you um, about this big project I do with just finished about um, empathy and perspective taking. And and I Mm -hmm. think that we know that's important. So when we're having these conversations, we can't lose sight of understanding. And listen, if you are, chances are, if you're listening to this podcast, if you um, are an individual that thinks critically about their reality, you are so far ahead of so many people. It's not worth it to hold intellectual dominion in a conversation or like mm-hmm. put somebody down just to make you feel good. You've right. done it. You've right. won. Yeah. You you have the, the ability. And that's so great. Some of us just need a little more help in getting there because yeah. the education system has failed so many. Yeah. And so when we're having these tough conversations about capitalism, oh my God, in Ontario, about Doug Ford yeah. and the conservatives, yeah. listen, don't just try to be like the the person in the room that knows the most. That's not going to get you anywhere. Right. Really try to break things down, have empathy, have compassion and patience. Um, the, the wait time, for example, mm-hmm. really let these questions sink in mm-hmm. and let the person know that you understand where they're coming from. And Mm -hmm. you're just, you just want to know if they've ever thought differently about Mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's just a very important thing. Um, when we engage in these, in these conversations, given the political Mm -hmm. train that we have, um, that is something that's important for us. And that's certainly something that I apply in my classroom. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that is absolutely amazing. And I think it's so incredibly important. I hope everyone listening really like takes that to heart because I think that, I think on the left, you know, there's too much of that, like wanting, not mm. not even just wanting to be the smartest person in the room, but just getting frustrated, feeling like you are the smartest person in the room and just yes. getting frustrated, feeling like you need to just like beat someone into submission <laughs> yes. until they agree with you, yes. right? Instead of, um, yeah, these probing questions actually allow them to arrive at a place, maybe the place that you want them to get, but arriving there themselves yes. through their own reflection is going to make that so much more it's going to make that last you know it's going to make that actually stick within them in a way that just yelling at people will not yeah and I feel like we're in such a critical moment right now like we have to be having these conversations and like it takes so so much patience yes and I fear that a lot of us don't really I mean a lot of us are just like well we only have 10 years like I know we don't have patience we don't have the time you know um and I also feel like I've talked about this before I feel like there's a lot of like ego on the left oh yeah people don't 
tend to try to resolve at all. <laughs> but yeah, I just I can't I can't even stress how important it is to to start to have that patience and to start to approach people in conversations the way that you just laid out. I think it's like it's yeah. I also I sympathize and I I want to go into every argument and I want to give all the facts and I, I yeah. want to win. And, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, this person doesn't know anything. And, and mm. I, it's so easy to feel that way. But it's exactly what you said. If we really do want to to make more allies and really grow this movement, because listen, a revolution is not going to happen unless we have class consciousness. Yeah. We know this. And a way to do class consciousness is just having these uncomfortable conversations. Yeah. Um, nobody wants to feel stupid. Mm-hmm. Even the person who is so committed to their beliefs that are not yours, they don't want to feel stupid. And, yeah. and I think it's just really having that empathy and understanding. And listen, folks, this is a lot of emotional labor. Yeah. And I totally sympathize with this. But this is how we are going to spread class consciousness to to get people to where hopefully they understand their material reality and they can mm-hmm. read better read and write the world. Mm-hmm. Because we are... We are teachers no matter what space we're in. Yeah. You know what? Bell Hooks actually has a really great quotation about that. And um, in one of her books, uh, Teaching Community, Mm -hmm. she talked about the importance of like translating our words and ideas into other pedagogical spaces. Mm -hmm. And she has this really great quote for teachers um, that teach that educators must learn to use the language that can speak to the heart of the matter in whatever teaching setting we find ourselves in. Mm. Mm-hmm. And it's just so true because now when days when you have a Facebook or you have an Instagram and you post something and then somebody comments, maybe they comment something nasty or they, they comment an opinion that you don't agree with. Mm-hmm. That has now become a space that you can use to teach for social transformation. Yeah. That is a political space mm-hmm. and it's up to you as a teacher. We are all educators. We yeah. are all teachers. Mm-hmm. That's a teachable moment. Yeah. You know, respond how you want to respond, but just keep in mind, nobody wants to feel badly and we need more people on Mm -hmm. our side so that Mm -hmm. when we mobilize in the streets, when we start to have that revolution, we are all on the same side because the enemy is capitalism. The enemy is not going to back down without all of us out there together. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love that. Yeah. On my most recent video, I gotten a lot of, you know, fascist attention. Um, Love it. And, you know, a lot of people I don't bother to respond to, but some I actually have. And I've actually had some pretty productive conversations. Yeah. Like, as you said, if you just respect the other person, even if the person is saying like horrible things that you disagree with, if you are just calm and, you know, don't insult them and like just lay yeah. out your thoughts very yes. calmly and it does take it takes so much emotional labor it takes a lot of patience and I think it takes a degree of privilege as well because you know I'm someone who uh you know I'm a white woman so I I'm not someone that they are actually trying to eradicate in, <laughs> yeah. in this world right That's so right. it does take a fair amount of privilege but yeah the more that we can do that the better obviously um and the more that we can get people to analyze evaluate create instead of just regurgitate yes the more that will actually change hearts and minds i think because if you're just telling someone something and then they accept it if they go somewhere else and someone tells them the opposite they're going to be like oh well now i don't know what to believe yeah because they haven't actually done any of the analysis themselves and they haven't arrived in that place through any kind of work of their own right exactly yeah um i posted, I made a post about this, um, because I'm very active in the fight for 15 campaign here Mm -hmm. in Toronto. And 
a lot of people have a lot of questions about that. And sometimes their opinions are just that $15 is too much. <laughs> so like, yeah. Um, so I, you know, people will, um, will retweet me that it's too much. And I, <laughs> I really explain things like inflation. Right. Um, and I, and I explain things about like the cost of living and, and these types of things in a very calm way. And, um, sometimes the reaction that I get is like, wow, I never thought about it like that. Yeah. And, um, even, uh, just, I posted about this thread, which was somebody just commenting about uh, minimum wage. And again, just with patience, I, mm-hmm. I took the time to hear the perspective that they mm-hmm. thought it was too much and that it would yeah. put small businesses out. And, mm-hmm. and I really kind of went through how, um, about the cost of living and and I broke things down from the campaign in that way. And mm-hmm. by the end of it, it, almost was like they were shocked Mm -hmm. that I was so nice. Mm -hmm. And they just said, wow, what a great, they said to me in this tweet, what a great conversation. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, wow, you were just like waiting for somebody to someone be be nice to you. Yeah. I had the same thing with a lot of, you know, people on the far right in my last video, they were just like, wow, I'm actually really impressed that you took the time to give such a thoughtful response. Like I I was not expecting this, like in a YouTube comment section. And I was just like, yeah, well, hopefully you ruminate on that. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Um, and, and I appreciated, uh, your point that we are talking about this from a point of privilege as, as two white women. Um, and I think that there needs to be a diversity of tactics. And I think that this is a way that we can mobilize our privilege in, in these conversations. And like, we can put in this emotional labor. Um, and it's our job. We should be putting in this emotional labor. Um, yes. So that, that is for us. It is not for everybody, but if you do find yourself in these conversations, these are some, um, some skills that you can put forth with that. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So we kind of talked about how you pretty much have a lot of leeway with your lesson plans because the curriculum is so vague. It's It's so so vague. It's so vague as to be meaningless. I mean, it's so vague as to be completely meaningless. Oh my goodness. Um, But how do you weave in political economic issues into the subjects you teach given this leeway with the curriculum? Yes. So um, I got rid of all of the textbooks when I first started teaching. Perfect. uh, Because they are trash. And I think that, as you might have guessed, I think that education is political. And so Mm -hmm. I think it's important to use the material that's around us the news that what's happening in the world that mm. should be what you use as the basis in your classes and unfortunately that means you're gonna have to update your lesson plans yep that means you can't just use the same binder you used last year yeah okay and that is what i do the content of my classes is based on everything that is happening in the world right now and it's mm-hmm. always changing so mm-hmm. um how much leeway do i have with lesson plans in ontario the teacher makes the rules. Mm -hmm. It is really up to the teacher. Mm -hmm. And at my school, there was no expectation that I taught the course the way that it had been taught before. Mm -hmm. Some schools have maybe a culture, like some public schools will say, oh, you know, um, they need to read Romeo and Juliet in grade nine because in grade 10, we do Macbeth, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And I do understand that there's been some um, configuration with the readiness of texts. But at my school, nah. I just, I just want to get rid of everything. I just wanted mm-hmm. to start fresh and really start to create these resources um, that are timely. Mm-hmm. So, weaving in political and economic issues. I mean, oh my god, if you just read the newspaper, 
mm-hmm. about like one thing happening, you know, yeah. using the world as inspiration for the basis of your class. And again, it's giving students the ability to think critically about um, what they see. So one of the expectations in the uh, grade 12 curriculum is that students interpret statistics. Mm -hmm. So I have them look at statistics about hate crimes. And Mm -hmm. right now we're talking about how hate crimes are on the rise and they've been on the rise. Mm -hmm. Okay. So um, we are looking at actual hate crimes that have happened. There have been so many. And on Monday, what they're going to do is pick a hate crime and go in depth with it and really investigate the impact it's had on the community. Wow. Yeah. And um, on Friday, we watched Vice's Race and Terror, Mm. which I always, you know, when we're talking about sensitive stuff, always give students an option to opt out. Mm -hmm. Like if you're talking about something sensitive, say, listen, you know, you're going to hear this word. You're going to see this. Mm -hmm. If you're uncomfortable, you can leave the room. Um, nobody ever does, but you know, it's just, it's good to say. Mm -hmm. Um, but that's, that's, uh, kind of in your face. It's, It's pretty in your face. Um, but it's important. And so I think when you bring in the world to your class, you are bringing in, social issues you are bringing in economic issues you're bringing in political issues because Mm -hmm. that's the world we live in the world we live in is not separate yeah you could even look at a story from pop culture like um those two uh unfortunately the two actresses are that are kind of like the figureheads for the story about the college cheating scam like those um yeah yeah like you know (laughs) even something um that's kind of fluffy like that from pop culture Mm -hmm. it's like wow let's talk Mm -hmm. about privilege like let's 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 dissect this Mm -hmm. um yeah in some pop culture i remember i was looking at my lesson plans from last year and around this time last year i had students watch colin kaepernick's speech that he gave at amnesty international yeah and uh we did a lot of stuff with that so Mm -hmm. colin kaepernick is um Oh, sports guy. I don't know. <laughs> football, football. Yes. Yeah. And, um, he was responsible for, um, like leading the way with the, uh, police brutality protests. He took a knee mm-hmm. and that's the extent of my football knowledge really was, uh, <laughs> college Colin Kaepernick. Uh-huh. Um, but again, yeah. the world we live in is political right? and it comes back again. Paula Freire. That's why I got this book right here. Yeah. Teaching for critical consciousness, teaching mm-hmm. students to, to read and write the world. Yeah. That's, that is really amazing that you can really bring in all of these things that, yeah, I mean, hate crimes, that's immediately political, like immediately, right? So it is kind of amazing that there's so much leeway with the course, but that also makes me think that it's going to be unfortunate for a lot of students because it really then depends on like the educator that you have, right? Yeah. Because if your educator is not bringing in, you know, Mm -mm. real world stuff, like mine never did, then you're just getting kind of nothing we just did a lot of you know half of the time I feel like we were just doing silent work and of course we, we just weren't actually doing anything <laughs> yes um I don't doubt that and mm-hmm. you were probably just reading the textbook and yeah. answering questions yeah and that is so easy yeah. oh my gosh if I did that I would have so much free time yeah I gotta tell you but it's I know and that's when it comes down to the teachers that think of this as a job, job. Um, or the teachers that think of it as a vocation yeah. and, and as, as their passion, as something yeah. that lights them up. And we just need more people who just get so um, excited mm-hmm. about pedagogy and yeah. curriculum and, yeah. and, and this way of teaching um, mm-hmm. because it takes a lot more work, but it's so valuable. Yeah. And um, unfortunately, 
there aren't many classes that look like mine because I never even had classes that looked no, like mine. No. Um, I'm doing this because I, I know that this, this theory exists. I'm creating this, um, based on, you know, people who have come before me. Like these are mm-hmm. not my own original ideas, as you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet I, I still have yet, I, I was never part of a class like this. No. And I struggle with that because I, I know that there are teachers who teach the way that they've been taught. Mm-hmm. It's kind of not their fault. I mean, you yeah. know, the, the teacher to, to go back to what I said at the beginning, those teachers who had that really great grade three teacher and, yeah. and whatnot, like they think they're doing a service by using even the same resources that they used, mm-hmm. but it's, we yeah. just, I, I'm not sure what the answer is. I just, I hope that more people take it upon themselves to pursue mm-hmm. teaching. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in Ontario, with Doug oh, Ford, these yeah. are desperate times. These are desperate um, times. But even just providing support to teachers could be something that people True. do. Yeah. Like if you have a teacher in your life, maybe even just asking them, you know, if they've considered um, using these stories that are going on in the world as the basis for their lessons or mm-hmm. helping them. Oh my God. If somebody were to come to me with lesson plans, <laughs> oh my God, that would be incredible. Yeah. Um, and I think like, as well, teachers share your resources yeah. and some teachers do, but you know, we could definitely see more of that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because yeah, it's not about teaching the way that you were taught. Mm-hmm. It's about innovation. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so could you give some more examples of activities that you use to get students thinking critically about, you know, current socioeconomic or environmental issues? Oh yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, bud. Um, <laughs> okay. So I mean, again, um, I've kind of touched on the fact that I want students to to think critically about the world. So really, any excuse to bring in um, the outside world into the classroom, I do. Mm-hmm. I also think the idea of empathy and perspective taking Mm. is so important. Mm -hmm. And that is like at the core of my pedagogy as well, Mm -hmm. getting students to think about how other people feel and what other people think Mm. is something that I, that lends itself to a lot of expectations, Mm -hmm. but also is just something that is going to make the world a better place. Mm -hmm. So um, I kind of gave some examples about my instruction, just with the Socratic method with like, waiting for answers and, and this type of thing, but really bringing in, um, things like empathy and social justice issues. Like in my Mm -hmm. drama class yesterday, we just finished our second unit where it culminated in, um, students picking a social justice issue and creating a series, um, of scenes based on that issue. And Mm -hmm. then really having to explain their choices. And Mm -hmm. I'm using things from the curriculum like um, realism and theater of the absurd um, and and the type of drama terminology, but the focus is not necessarily like a Shakespeare text. The focus is getting students to create, which goes back to Bloom's taxonomy, Mm -hmm. um, and research and fully understand. So I had fantastic presentations about Mm -hmm. um, transphobia. I had fantastic presentations about sexism. And I was actually telling you earlier, yeah. and uh, I will tell the listeners again, I had this group of students, my grade 12s, um, three of them, they chose the topic of sexism and they had a few scenes where, you know, women were being discriminated against, but their last scene was 
genius. Mm -hmm. And it involved um, the self-identified male in the group. He sat down at a table and he set up his camera as if he was recording and he had all this makeup in front of him. And then suddenly he turns on his camera and then he says, hi, welcome back to my YouTube channel. (laughs) And it's him uh, actually as a YouTuber, as a makeup artist. And he's swatching all of this this, uh, lipstick and concealer. And he's like, this one's my favorite. And he's Mm -hmm. putting powder all over his face and he's Mm -hmm. doing his makeup and he looks amazing. And then, you know, a few minutes later after he finishes, he turns off the recorder and then he starts to read the YouTube comments Mm -hmm. and they're so hateful. And then the other Mm -hmm. two girls in the group are behind him and they're kind of like the voices of the YouTube comments saying like, you're not a man. Mm -hmm. This isn't how a man should be. And bringing in these ideas about patriarchal masculinity and it was just so mm-hmm. fantastic. And mm-hmm. afterwards, I get them all to discuss because, you know, there are so many different ways to assess students. Conversation should be one mm-hmm. of them yeah. um, to give all students a chance. And so he's defending uh, his choices through conversation. Mm-hmm. And he says, I've never really watched any of these YouTube videos, um, but I started. And he even mentioned this one YouTuber, like someone, Charles and apparently oh, yeah. this like, male YouTuber that's like really great. Mm-hmm. And he's like, and you know, it takes a lot of work to be good at this stuff. And it's actually really impressive that these guys can do all of these looks and all of these things. And mm-hmm. he even said that he, uh, he might even wear makeup to prom because he doesn't think that's it's a amazing. big deal. He doesn't think it's a big deal. And he's like, yeah, like it's just their job. I don't know. It's just, it's something that. they do. Yeah. And, and that, those are the moments that I live for, but mm-hmm. it's again, giving students the ability to explore these issues and create and then finding different ways to, to find out what they think that are Mm -hmm. not just like, you know, pen and paper writing about it, but actually engaging Mm -hmm. and talking Mm -hmm. with them. Yeah. And so that linked with empathy because it was like trying to figure out how people. Oh yeah. Yeah. And so that was one of the questions that I also asked them is like, why is empathy important? Yeah. Um, And they have to tell me, they have to use the word empathy and like, Mm -hmm. tell me, um, why empathy is important, how they use this skill when mm-hmm. creating this project. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it's so important. Yeah. I feel like if people had empathy, like we wouldn't even have conservatism at, at all. I know. Exactly. <laughs> um, and on, um, folks, I know that you can't see it at home, but literally on the project, it's like this heart, it's this word wall and it's, yeah. it's a wordle with a lot of words and just empathy is in the, the very the heart. in the very center of the heart yeah and i Beautiful. defined empathy on the first page the ability to understand and share the feelings of another mm-hmm. so that is something and and it's just mm-hmm. little things like that like little tweaks to assignments you know i have to get students to learn different genres of theater mm-hmm. so how about instead of acting out heinrich ibsen's a doll's house which is a lovely text that comments on the reality of women at that time mm-hmm. students create yeah. their own commentary mm-hmm. and we read we read some Ibsen and we understand you know how it was progressive at that time and we try to emulate that yeah. instead of just taking these texts and and yeah so so that's what I do and I'm able to to really weave those issues in with the application and that mm-hmm. really again coming back to Bloom's taxonomy that create part of the pyramid that is that moves you into higher order level thinking mm-hmm. 
Whenever I talk to you about this, I'm always so impressed. And Aww. I'm like, Paulo Pierre would be absolutely <sighs> proud oh my God. of what you were doing. I Just love you, Paulo. Amazing pedagogy. Oh, man. Yeah. Um, so I guess you talked a bit about some of the results just, just there with that, that example yeah. of that, that male student you had. Um, but what are, what are the results of all of this? Like, how well are these uh. social and economic justice concepts landing with the students? Are they inspired to learn more? Are they migrating to the left? Um, Okay, great. So I have to say that um, I've had such positive results, really only Mm -hmm. positive results, um, Mm -hmm. because these issues about, well, especially, I should say, issues about gender, sexism, LGBTQ+, all of this stuff, they just, they get it. It's really not a problem. It's a no-brainer for them. Um, And it's so easy to discuss discuss in these issues. there's just one tiny little part. So I teach at a private school. Mm. So there's a over $22,000 barrier oh. to get to my school. So when yeah. I'm discussing SES and just issues of money, mm-hmm. there is a bit of a learning curve for students. Mm-hmm. And really teaching about economic privilege, um, it's something they've never had to think about before. Mm-hmm. And while they're in the know and they're teaching me about things about um, – gender and expectations of men and women. Mm-hmm. Um, that is the one thing with my group of students, um, money and, mm-hmm. uh, and status in that way. Yeah. And I remember my first year of teaching, I had uh, a group of boys. I, it ended up working out that my grade 11 introduction to anthropology, psychology, and sociology class was a group of they were actually in grade 12 taking this grade 11 course. This group of grade 12 boys, they were all friends, mm. and they had these really negative attitudes about homeless people. Oof. And one of them said, you know, well, my dad said that all homeless people are lazy and they mm. just don't want a job. Damn. And I was so shocked at that. And see, now if that happened, I wouldn't be shocked because I know the culture of my school and the work that needs to be done. Yeah. But I was so rocked to my core at that, mm-hmm. um, that I called a friend of mine who works at Youth Without Shelter and mm-hmm. he actually came in and did a presentation. Wow. Yes. And so my students were really inspired with this presentation. Um, shout out to Mike Burnett from uh, Youth Without Shelter. <laughs> and, um, and he really dispelled myths about homelessness and, mm-hmm. and really explained that, uh, that no, homeless people are not lazy, mm-hmm. that there is, there are basically barriers for their success right. and anybody can be homeless. Yeah. And he really explained to them that, um, there's so many reasons why people have to leave their home yeah. in a way that they'd never thought about before. They thought yeah. it was just like a, these people choose, Ugh. they don't want a job. So, um, I actually brought this to share with you because what's become a cornerstone in my course now, and I've done this for four years mm-hmm. is I turned the final task of that course into an assignment where they have to engage with this youth shelter oh, wow. and actually um, create a fundraising initiative mm-hmm. and participate in this fundraising initiative mm-hmm. and then write a reflection. Wow. So yes. So in, um, in HSP3U now, it starts, um, we usually get the initiative going in um, October or November, but we bring in food and we gamify it. And now the psychology aspect comes into this because my class needs to find a way to motivate the school mm. to participate in a food raiser. Mm-hmm. And they need to, to evaluate the ways that they take on the leadership. They need to evaluate um, 
theories of motivation and how they can apply it. Mm -hmm. And they also need to do research on homelessness and youth homelessness and mental health and and all of these issues. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it becomes something where they feel really proud when they uh, are able to participate in this. And Mm -hmm. it, these boys actually started, they were so genius because um, we, I said, you know, we're going to do this in my first year of teaching, we're going to do this. We're going to help youth without shelter. And they said, yeah. And I suggested a food raiser and they're like, you know, people aren't going to really bring in food. Like we need to incentivize it. And I'm like, okay. So we turned it into a competition, which Mm -hmm. homeroom can bring in the most food. Mm -hmm. And then my one boy, the boy who made the comment about um, homeless people being lazy, Mm -hmm. he said, well, you know, we need a way to like quantify this. Cause if somebody just brings in a bunch of rice, they can't get the same amount of points as like, um, a class that brings in like more food. So we actually found from the shelter that when youth move out of the shelter, they're given these um, packages to get started in their own kitchen. Mm -hmm. And there's like a box of craft dinner, of soup, of um, ketchup, like like all of these things that Mm -hmm. are like the essentials. Mm -hmm. So it was this student's idea that if you bring in one of all of the items needed for the packages that youth get when they move out of the shelter, you get one point. Mm-hmm. And then the homeroom that's assembled the most complete food packages mm-hmm. wins three days out of uniform. Wow. That was their idea. Yeah. It was, it was so, it was so great. And then mm-hmm. we use that as a model. And every year my students find more ways to motivate students to bring in things and mm-hmm. to get engaged. Um, but I'm not surprised anymore when they first initially have these ideas about homelessness. And that's definitely an issue that I work with them and I help them to talk through this. Why do you think this? Well, Mm -hmm. what if we looked at the data that says that, um, actually there are so many reasons, um, why people need to leave home. What about the situation where, um, students are being abused? You know, how Mm -hmm. do we feel about that? And and really giving them the information to make the most informed choice. Mm -hmm. So they do this and then their CCT, which is what we call, would call like a final essay Mm -hmm. is there like, reflection on it. So like, Mm -hmm. what were your preconceived ideas about homelessness or Mm -hmm. poverty or mental illness before this course? Mm -hmm. They may be negative or positives. Where did you learn these? Use the terminology primary and secondary agents of socialization. Wow. Yeah. And then um, how did these agents of socialization teach you these positive or negative ideas? Mm -hmm. Please explain using social learning, uh, social constructions, social prejudice, stereotypes and stigmas. Yeah. So um, so that's like something that is, uh, has a real world weight to it. Yeah. Um, and it, it really gets at that issue of praxis of like moving the theory into action Yeah. and they feel so proud of it. And when we're counting the food, they're like taking pictures and videos and like putting on their Instagrams and mm-hmm. yeah. Um, so that's that amazing. is, that's an example mm-hmm. of, of something that, that we can do. So yeah. still using these curriculum expectations, but just finding these bigger ideas mm-hmm. to connect them to mm-hmm. like in the course, you need to be able to define stigma. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. Define it in relation to like what you had thought right. or, um, or just these bigger issues that yeah. relate directly to you. I, I, love that like breaking down your own preconceived notions as like a young teenager yes exactly having to be like where did I actually learn this yes who did tell me this and like why did I believe it and you know like and the reflections (laughs) that I get the honesty of like yeah of these radical reflections yeah and that's another thing so I'm really big on metacognition and for listeners that don't know this term it's kind of 
it might sound like jargon, but it's really important. Metacognition is the ability to uh, critically reflect on your own thinking. Mm. So I have metacognition as a part of all of my courses. You know, the second that we finish writing something in English, I have them reflect on like, how much time did you spend? Mm. And, mm-hmm. and what were the most difficult aspects? And what will you do differently next time? And mm-hmm. when I give feedback, I have them actually I make sure that my feedback is not in vain and mm-hmm. I make them go through my written feedback mm-hmm. and then answer questions about it and then mm-hmm. set goals for next time wow. under the guise of, yeah, metacognition, thinking about your own thinking. And right. so when asking, even in this um, unit or this uh, final course project mm-hmm. that I've done four times now, I am still always blown away at, at the degree of honesty mm-hmm. that they thought such how can I put this? <laughs> they had such harsh, <laughs> harsh views mm-hmm. about, um, not just homelessness, but mental illness. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I had one student write that he thought that people with mental illnesses shouldn't be given work. Wow. Like he, they should, he didn't understand that, um, this is something that everybody experiences. Right. Um, I've had students tell me that like, yeah, it really, they learn it from their parents, their yeah. uncle, et cetera, et cetera. Um, mm-hmm. actually something that I shared with you, a few weeks ago, um, I had students do an activity where they were writing in role um, as uh, the topic was discrimination. And I taught them about different kinds of discrimination. And they had to write a monologue from somebody that either had been discriminated against or mm-hmm. somebody who was discriminating. Mm-hmm. And uh, one student came to me after, after teaching the different kinds of discrimination. And he said, you know, Miss Fawn, I'm homophobic. Wow. And I was like, okay, wow. Thank you for telling me. And he goes, yeah, like I'm really uncomfortable when I think about this. And, mm-hmm. um, and he, and he shared this anecdote with me and, and we really worked through it. And I teach the student this semester too. And, um, mm-hmm. he was actually one of the boys that did us the anthology about transphobia wow. just this week. Oh my God. It was amazing. Wow. Yeah. And, and it still comes up and he still gets jerky about a few things, but for the most part, I'm seeing huge improvements with him. And I, and I think again, patience. So when he came to me and said, I'm homophobic, I didn't say to him like, well, that's really wrong. And like, you need to figure that out. Right. You know, it's okay. You know, why do you think this? Why do you feel this way? Okay. Because you experienced something that you interpreted in this way. Did you consider Mm -hmm. looking at it like this and, Mm -hmm. and giving them my giving him opportunities to reflect and Mm -hmm. use empathy and perspective taking. Um, that's, Mm -hmm. that's really, that's really helped. But mm-hmm. to circle it back, you know, we were talking about um, how are these issues landing with students. So overall, they're landing and kids get it. And I got to tell you, I'm in now my fourth year. So I have students who are at university. Mm-hmm. They're still emailing me and like sending me like memes. Like wow. they'll send me like social justice memes or like yeah. something that, you know, reminds me of them um, still. And and that's how I know that this stuff sticks. Yeah. And, um, one of my kids called my class a woke factory. Amazing. And I was like, oh my God, that's the best. I mean, I, I acted like when they say, when they say these things, you know, you, you have a certain relationship with your students where you can't, you know, be like, oh yes, I am the best. That's right. <laughs> yeah. So like when they, when they say things that are very flattering, you, you do have to downplay it to kind of keep the balance of like yeah. power and whatever. So right. when he called it a woke factory, um, I, I, 
probably pass it off as like a joke. Right. But I got to tell you, after they left class, I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. <laughs> like, this is the best. Um, and, it, and it should be. And, and classrooms yeah. should be that because again, yeah. education is political. Yeah. This is political. Existing mm. is political. Yeah. Yes. Existing is political. Existing yeah. is political. Yeah. Oh my God. Put it on a shirt. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's kind of unfortunate that there is that much of a, a barrier to getting into your school. Like there is that much money to, to attend. Yes. But at the same time, I think it's also incredible because these are the kids that need radical education the most, yes. you know, like these are the kids who are going to have their parents telling them these terrible things about poverty and mental illness and homelessness and all of that so I think yeah it's actually pretty radical that you're getting to teach these like super rich kids <laughs> yeah um I have to admit at first I was a little um concerned because this was my first teaching job and I've since stayed on because I I love where I teach I love the staff I love the students um and I was really hesitant because I did want to go into the public stream but mm we need radical educators everywhere yeah. and we just got to get out there. And, um, a lot of my students are going to be studying business and they are, and yeah. I teach students, I teach a lot of international students as well. Mm -hmm. And they take these ideas and they go back to where they're from, you Damn, know? Yeah. Yes, of course. And, um, and I mm -hmm. see it and I'm, I'm still, I'm still seeing it. So I think, you know, I'm doing the work in this ecosystem and mm -hmm. hopefully I am able to create some type of infrastructure where, Maybe eventually I will be able to step back and my courses can just uh, exist with the resources I've done. Someone else yeah. can step in there and then I can go to another another place and, and yeah. get things started there. Oh um, my gosh. Yeah. You're making me want to become a high school oh teacher. Oh my God, so please, just, do. please do. Please do. Please <laughs> do. I definitely, I will be making an effort this summer to take some time and, and I just want my resources to be out there. Yeah. Um, and I don't want any money for them. Like I just, mm. I want them to change the world. I know that they can. So I mm. will be making like a, um, a, a part, like a port for them, like some type of website where wow. people can just go and download them. You're a fucking badass. I'm doing yeah. what I can. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely doing what I can. Yes. Um, okay. So I wanted to ask what kind of things that the kids might bring up that actually we might be able to learn from. I'm not sure if you have any. Right. Well, I think that there is a tendency for um, people our age and and people who are out of school to really look down on this generation yeah. of kids to really write them off because of everything that we know about their social media use and their technology use and, yeah. and all of these things. And um, I'm very cognizant of that. I never want it to be, uh, I never want there to be this mentality of like kids today because yeah. I have to tell you that like, so much of their experience is still similar to ours, regardless of their technology. Like, mm -hmm. um, yes, they have this, this digital identity and, and that's something that we can speak to, but I do want to say that the kids today are still just kids mm -hmm. and they're still having this experience where they're going to school and they're trying to, um, to get good grades while balancing mm -hmm. their friends and their family and their part-time jobs and mm -hmm. the acne and the heartbreaks and the staying <laughs> up all night and the breakups and the crying in the bathrooms. And yeah. it, it, there's just so much that is still a universal adolescent experience. Mm -hmm. It's just that now on top of that, they have these digital tools that mm -hmm. allow, that can make their lives easier or can make their lives harder depending right. on their engagement. Mm -hmm. And so I just wanted to say that as a, the kids are all right, folks. <laughs> yeah. they, they really are. Um, mm -hmm. And things that they bring up that we can learn from 
it's just what I observe. I observe the way that they are able to use technology so effortlessly as mm. like an extension of what they do. And they're able to really create their identities and really be these autodidacts mm -hmm. that um, I was never at that age. Mm -hmm. I mean, my students, if they want to learn how to knit, if they want to learn how to do watercolors, if they want to learn how to speak French, if they want to learn mm -hmm. how to do all these things, mm -hmm. it is just a YouTube video away. Mm -hmm. It is just, um, it's just a click away or even connecting with people that have other interests um, through technology. And I think that mm -hmm. they've got a really good handle on using technology to create community. Mm -hmm. That is what I've observed. And that's something I think that we can definitely learn from. Mm -hmm. And, um, I think that yes, using technology to organize. So, um, I was at a talk recently, um, the Ontario coalition against poverty had a speaker series and they invited a high school organizer named Amina, who is responsible for students say no, which in Ontario, we've had, um, mass student walkouts because the conservative government has cut the funding to education. Mm -hmm. And so students are protesting because these budget cuts are directly influencing them. Mm -hmm. So they're in the government is increasing class sizes, which is actually taking away their electives because there's less teachers. Mm -hmm. And now they're going to actually have to do four courses online as part of their secondary school Damn. diploma. Yeah. Four online courses. I heard they were also like so in different, you know, regions, they were also encouraged to take night school or summer school. Yep. <laughs> summer yep. It yeah. is. Oh man. So, mm -hmm. um, so students are getting angry and, uh, one of the lead organizers, she's 17. Um, she actually did all of her organizing. You'll never get this on Instagram. Damn. Damn. Yes. So I never thought about Instagram as like an organizing tool. No. I mean, I would think of like maybe WhatsApp groups or my activist friends always talk about Slack and, and all of these other things. No, they're using like, they're using Instagram. They're finding different ways to mobilize that are just very creative. And I mm -hmm. think that we can learn from that. Mm -hmm. um, and I think just again, generating community and um, having these shared experiences because they share everything with each other and they are just very connected at all times. And I think that um, I would like to see more of that from us. I would like to see us using technology to engage more. I would like to see us generating community and creating spaces for community through technology mm -hmm. more. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I love how you said, you know, the kids are all right because I know that, you know, Gen Z is it? Gen Z. Oh, yeah. We're get past to, millennials. <laughs> yeah. They get a lot of flack because of, you know, the whole eating Tide Pods stuff. And uh, and I've heard that people say that they're, like, pretty reactionary. But that's because they're getting sucked into, like, the Jordan Petersons and oh all God. of that. Yeah. Which also goes back to what we were talking about, about the importance of, you know, critical media, <laughs> media literacy yes. at this point yes. in time. But I'm actually really inspired by the, the younger generation. And I think yes. that they are coming into the world from a place of, you know, they, they already have a level of empathy that I feel like yeah. had, had to be taught to other generations. And like, they are, they obviously see what's going on with the planet and they're fucking pissed. Yes. Um, so I'm actually quite inspired by this. Young, they, they seem like older than their years, I think. Yeah. Um, and that might just be a, a product of the times, but I think, yeah, I think the kids are all right. I think they're all right too. <laughs> and I got to tell you, even on the topic of climate change, I mean, teaching climate change to them is so easy. Yeah. It's like, oh, these are the facts. The temperatures are going up. Mm -hmm. Oh, 
Okay. Yeah. Like they, and they see it all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are so many things that are, I mean, of course I did talk about, um, some of the difficulties I had, but there's also just such an ease when you show them the facts, mm-hmm. they just say, Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. They don't crafty stories about, well, the world is always warming right. and they, they're not connected to that. It's like, they're very rational if you yeah. present them with these, because the thing is, and it's something that you had said earlier, a lot of facts support uh, left ideas, left yeah. causes. That's just a fact. Right. So, uh, <laughs> so yeah, I don't have to convince, I don't have any climate change deniers yeah. in, um, in my experience. Yeah. And I mean, they're all getting so political, like all these, you know, yeah. strikes, uh, Friday strikes for the climate yeah, and things like Fridays that. Yeah, Fridays for future. Yes. I feel like that's such a, it's such a big moment because when you have like 12 year olds protesting in the street yeah how, how are you going to shut that down yes it's not you can't just be like these are like radical antifa the world oh, you know? know right like no these are children actually yeah, like, these are children they're real pissed that notice that this year <laughs> yeah. it's hotter than yeah. last year yeah and the year before that yeah. and see floods in their communities yeah. and understand they don't accept this. yeah exactly yeah exactly so again it is th- the kids are all right i think that the the examples you know the the tide pod that whole thing i mean <laughs> my kids thought that was stupid i Great. talked with my kids Great. about this i i did show um i pulled up a newspaper article about tide pods when this happened and i said like come on do you do you guys and they're like no like that is really stupid and yeah. um the problem is you, you know what i would have loved to i'll just say this i think if we gave those students we moved them up in bloom's taxonomy to create mm. and we had more opportunities for them to to have outlets to develop their own opinions, we would see less Tide Pods. Yeah. I, less Tide I agree. Pods. I agree. Yeah. And I mean, the state's education system is very different than um, ours. So I can speak to a few curriculums that I've just looked up because I've been interested. Mm-hmm. It's very rigid. Mm-hmm. And so Ontario, we have these like open expectations. In the States, it's very closed. And I just always wonder when things are super structured and super rigid and and not really open to a lot of interpretation. Mm-hmm. Um, you really rely on the banking method to deliver these expectations mm-hmm. with like very little room, very little room for critical thought. Mm-hmm. I just wonder what type of learner that creates, mm-hmm. and uh, and I think we see some of that with uh, these videos. Yeah. We just need more radical pedagogy in all spaces. And if there are any educators out there listening from the States, um, I'm sure that you are already doing this revolutionary work. I just want to say thank you. Mm-hmm. I hope that more comrades join you. And I hope that that you really get the message out there because there are really great teachers. I'm not alone in being a revolutionary um, teacher. Mm-hmm. I hope that we're all able to support each other and that we inspire others who are already in these spaces to, to do so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Wonderful. Um, so we talked a little bit before about how, uh, you know, the leftist movement in general can benefit from applying some of these teaching techniques. Uh, I just want to know if you want to say anything else on that note to leave off. Well, teaching techniques, I mean, we went over, um, I definitely, exhausted the topic of uh, the Socratic method about wait times, about just not making people feel badly. Um, But again, I do want to say that uh, this comes from a tradition of educators. Mm -hmm. And if people want to learn more, if people are ever inspired, please check out like Peter McLaren, Paulo Freire, John Dewey, Bell Hooks. These are my favorite Mm. educators. And I think that 
just as people interested in revolutionary ideas that we can learn a lot from these teachers Mm -hmm. and we can learn a lot about ourselves and our own teaching and also again um echoing bell hooks echoing just this idea that everything we do is political Mm -hmm. um we can find ways to better turn what we do into an opportunity um to learn from others to to educate others and to also learn from them and to have these conversations Mm -hmm. again we don't have to be the expert at Mm -hmm. all times Mm -hmm. in fact that was one of Paulo Freire's critiques of school is mm-hmm. that the teacher stands in front of everyone and is the person with all of the power and all of the knowledge. And the students are seen as passive nobodies mm-hmm. that, that need the teacher for their learning. Mm-hmm. And I think we need to move away from that and, and be okay with not being the expert and just really ensuring that um, we level with people and that we use even our lives, mm-hmm. just use the way that you operate in the world as an opportunity to educate mm-hmm. and to to listen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. I love what you said about everything is a teachable moment, right? All these yeah, like everything, all these points of friction that could end terribly are actually teachable moments. Each oh and every yeah, moment, so. for sure. Yeah. Okay. Well, I love that. Um, so that's all my questions. So Amazing. thank you so much, Alexis, for coming on the show today. Oh my god! Thanks for having me. This is so nice. I've got. <laughs> Had the nicest conversation. I've got my tea. I'm just doing so good over here. Yeah, you didn't spill on the mic either. So, oh my god, nailed it! Oh, well, we're not done. No, just kidding. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, yeah, it's been really great to have you on the show. Uh, would you like to? I don't know. Shout out where people can find you, or yeah. So you can find me on Instagram at Alexis Vaughn. You can also send me an email if you have any questions about this, or if you want to connect about radical pedagogy, um, I would love to engage with these ideas further, send you some resources, or um, just help you figure out this crazy thing we do called teaching. Um, You can send me an email at alexisvon.xo at gmail.com. And I'm sure we can put that in the show notes. Yeah, we'll we'll put it in the show notes and we'll put all the resources that you listed in the talk. Oh, incredible. Yes. So yeah, thank you so much. Thank you for having me.